big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we're talking about siblings part two. Now we have talked about this before, but this time, it, oh, in fact, this is siblings q and I think this is called yes. siblings Q&A. <laughs> so this time we have asked you for your questions and we're going to be responding to them. Mm-hmm. And I think this topic is something, well, particularly when you've got little people, you know, when a new baby's coming along, it's one of the things that I think parents often feel concerned about is how are we going to help the older child navigate having a, a baby in the family? And equally too, as our kids get bigger and grow up together, we can often see siblings disagreeing or arguing and fighting and all those kind of things. And that's a topic that a lot of parents often struggle with, of how do we, how do we create um, you know, respect between the kids or how do we create more harmony in the home? So there's there's a lot in this topic, isn't there? Yeah, it can be really incredibly painful, can't it? Being one of the most beautiful things, seeing seeing our children love each other and, and have harmony and it can be incredibly painful, can't it, seeing them um, having disharmony? Yes, absolutely. And, well, well, we're definitely going to go into that around what um, ways that we can work with that in a family. And I've, I mean, as you would have, Marion, I've witnessed that both. I've seen times with my own kids when there's such beautiful connection and love and, you know, just joyous stuff. And then there's times where they're screaming at each other and I hate you and, you know, I just wish you were never born and just lots of big feelings like that which can be really hard to navigate as a parent because, of course, we just want everybody to get along. But there's also wisdom in that. I've definitely learned over the years when my kids are fighting or there's been disagreements that, you know, there's often a few things going on. One, there's something obviously happening for them behind the behaviour and and I have found in my family that when one of my kids has had a lot of stuff going on and they haven't been able to lean into it, they will often go and find a sibling to pick a fight with so that they've got an opportunity to move some of those feelings. So I found that my kids did that a lot, that they would they would look for edges to push up against with their brothers or sisters so that, you know, their feelings of powerlessness could come out or they, you know, they could control something or they could be heard or, you know, it's not fair, all those things came out. So I began to view it differently in Instead of, you know, I failed as a parent, my kids are arguing, I began to see it as, ah, oh, this is just another vehicle to help them process some feelings. There's also saw a lot of beautiful learnings that happened with my children learning to navigate conflict. And, and they can often sometimes see that in families that our siblings are the first people that we learn negotiation with. We learn how to express what we want, what our needs are, all those kind of things. So I, I began to look at it not as something that was wrong or bad, but as beautiful opportunities for them to learn and also for ways to help them process whatever was going on. So it's not all bad. Sometimes, you know, there's there's some beauty in it, even though it can feel very challenging as a parent. Mm, I also want to say, I think sometimes even the the other sibling can have a sense, you know, when when their sibling has got feelings that are bubbling up and they can actually move in in ways that, um, in a way, unconsciously, that they're actually trying to support that healing process for their sibling, that they might do something where the, the other one has a reaction. You know, I also saw that with my children when they were younger, that they're they also want healing to happen for their sibling because I guess, you know, that's what we're coming from at the basis of, you know, that children want to 
feel connected they want to feel loving and cooperative and contributing all of those things and um yeah so i found that helpful to to notice as well mm, yeah all right let's dive into some of these questions because there's a lot of questions here so thank you everybody for sending in your questions or commenting on our post because we'd love to hear what it is for you so we're going to start by just talking about having a new baby come into the family so one of the questions here is i'm pregnant with my second baby and sometimes a little worried how do i prepare my son he will be 19 months at the time his sister arrives for this big change how do you respond to two children who need to cry rage at the same time and stay calm yourself in the process and there was another question that's really similar, just saying preparing and dealing with the introduction of a new sibling, how to show respect and compassion to both children when the baby needs mummy more than the old, oldest in a moment. So these are often probably the things that that's come up a lot when we have a new baby and how do we meet everybody's needs? Mm. What do you want to start with, Mary? So many things to say here, isn't there, isn't there? aren't there? Um, one of the things I would say, which I would I think one of the most helpful things is to support the older child before the baby's born to do as much expressing of feelings as possible. So in a way, if we think of it like the, the accumulation of feelings, like the, the pot of feelings is relatively empty. So that means as much as possible during the pregnancy to be listening to feelings as much, as much, as much as possible, both when they're showing up um but also supporting if there are control patterns going on ways of suppressing feelings or if there's aggression showing up is doing whatever you can to get extra support to really be prioritizing that because basically the more um the, the more a child is feeling calm and centered in their own body that basically any child is going to have big feelings any sibling's going to have big feelings when they see um the new baby being carried everywhere, being responded to promptly, um, and, and them noticing probably having less connection, having less empathy, the parents having less or parent having less resources to respond. It's going to be really normal, natural for every child to have big feelings around that. If they've already got really big feelings, it's just going to make the feelings even, even bigger. It's going to make everything a lot harder. So one of the key things is to make sure that their, their feelings accumulation is relatively low when the new sibling comes in, because that's just going to make things easier for everybody. So that would be one suggestion. I have about five others. I imagine you do too. We could go back and forth. <laughs> What's yours? Um, well, I think, um, you know, we always talk about play and using play to help our children not only prepare but also process big feelings so you know preparing what it might be like when a new baby comes so you know with my kids we bought them a baby and they had a sling they'd put them in and you know I was a big fan of preparing them for you know if mummy went into labor or what happened and then once the baby was here and sometimes the baby might cry and so we did lots and lots of play around the baby coming um, and also what we might see sometimes when a new baby comes is the older sibling might want to do regression play which is where they want to go back to being a baby themselves and that's a really normal thing for a child to do so if you're finding your older sibling is wanting to be the baby again and wanting to be you know carried and snuggled like they're a little baby if you can indulge in that beautiful play that can be a wonderful thing because it can really help them process this this change in this next step that they're moving towards so trusting their play of what they bring to you can be really powerful I mean also once the baby is here 
you know, having that one-on-one time with the older sibling where you can play whatever they want to play, where you just fill up their cup by being really present with them. So if there's somebody else there to hold the baby, you get to just be with that older sibling and just delight in them and love on them, whether that's for 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can do every day to just give them your 100% focused attention and hopefully playing something that they want to play can be really beautiful to just, you know, have that special one-on-one connection time. Also to, you know, power reversal games where the older child, the sibling gets to be in charge, they get to be the boss, you know, because it can feel incredibly powerless having a baby coming to the family. Even though we go, it's wonderful, you're going to have, you know, a little brother or sister or whatever, you know, for the older child, it's not so wonderful. You've just put someone else into the family to take up all the space and, you know, you're giving all the love to them and and they're allowed to have big feelings around it. I think it's really important what you're saying, Marion, is it's it would be unusual for an older sibling not to have feelings around what's going on with a new baby coming in. And so even as an adult or as a parent, just understanding, yeah, of course they might have feelings around this and really welcoming that. So using that play to have that beautiful special connection time together, you know, knowing that, you know, perhaps when you stop, there might be feelings that come or there might be feelings that pop up at any other point where the child perhaps isn't in control or is feeling powerless. I think it just, you know, I found in having three children that each time a baby came along, my older sibling needed so much gentleness and compassion for all that big change and shift and for all their feelings that that were present there so if we can as adults really just understand this is a massive shift for them and what can I do to stay in my heart and be as open as possible to helping them with the feelings that pop up and if we come back to really basic aware parenting the more we're able to listen to those big feelings the more they will be naturally gentle and present and loving and compassionate all those things that they naturally are so I think it can be really helpful to remember that siblings want to be like that they want to be gentle with the baby and if they're not being gentle and we're going to be talking more about that just telling them over and over to be gentle isn't addressing the source of that behavior so naturally the more we can listen to their feelings and I think it's a, a lethal, we've already said this in part one of the siblings, but to imagine ourselves in their position. Imagine if our partner said, I'm going to come home with a new partner and you're going to love them. And they bring the new partner home and they're far more affectionate with a new partner, far more loving. And you know, they pay us much less attention and they're maybe a little bit short with us. So they ask, they expect more from us. We would have humongous feelings and we're adults. You know? So to really understand that's really normal and natural for children to, re- as you say, feel really powerless, to feel jealous, to feel grief and mourning. And I think that's something that's often not acknowledged in a relationship between parent and child that often is really common for us as well. Even though it's wonderful and amazing, there is often a change and in some cases a loss in the relationship that was there before and to actually really acknowledge that for both and actually speak it as well I think is really important mm-hmm. um, I also wanted to say um, I think it can be really helpful as well in terms of how to show respect and compassion to the both children when the baby needs mummy more than the oldest in the moment is I often see people doing things like even with small children that the older sibling kind of leaving them alone like going off to take the the baby to help the baby sleep and leaving the toddler on their own or the older child and I would say as well is to think about doing as much as you can without leaving that other child so you know if you're from an aware parenting perspective you might listen to the baby crying in arms 
before they go to sleep. I wouldn't be expecting the other child to be on their own whilst you do that. So the more right from the beginning you include the older child in doing things, and that might be um, you know, all the things that they can do, and that's just sitting next to them whilst you're listening to crying, um, rather than it, that's going to lessen the amount of extra feelings that they have around being left alone and being expected to wait and all of that stuff is having them there with you as much as possible, including them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that in terms of how do you respond to two children who need to cry and rage at the same time? I found it was really helpful. Um, when my son was born, my daughter was four and a half. It was a lovely gap. And so we would spend a lot of time. We had, I, I'm really passionate about Montessori in the prepared environment. And relevant to this is setting up spaces where we can be supported. So comfortable chairs and things for the older child to be doing whilst you are um, listening to the baby's feelings, for example, so that you're not just, again, expecting them to entertain themselves, but actually having things set up. So I used to do a lot of sitting with Sunny, holding him in my arms as he was crying, and I'd be talking to Lana, and, she, you know, we were homeschooling, so she was with me all the time. She'd be doing a little workbook or, you know, one of a million things, and I'd be like, I'm here, Sunny, I'm right here, I'm listening, sweetheart, and then uh, yes, sweetheart, that did it to Lana. Yeah, yes, that's, you know, yeah, that's a love your picture or what are you drawing or what's the word you're writing? So finding ways, I think so often with aware parenting, we can think that we need to be just giving 100% attention to one child. And whilst I think that's really vital, as you said, now like non-directive child center play every day for the older sibling, even if it's five minutes makes all the difference. And to know that our partial attention is enough to be with both of them and if they're both crying and again I think often siblings will help each other they will one will start crying and if the other one's got big feelings the other one will also start crying and to know that again that our presence can be enough just to, to know that and that can help us stay calm to say my loving presence for the both of them is enough or even three I mean I'd love to hear if you want to share about that but um to know that we can be like, I'm here, you sweetheart, I'm here, I'm, I'm listening. It may be even that the older child's coming up and say, it's not fair, you're not listening to me. And you can just still listen. I hear, sweetheart, it's not fair. It's really different, isn't it? I see how upset you are. I'm listening. And then also holding the back to the baby. I'm here, I'm still listening, sweetheart. Because the baby can feel our loving presence, the, the energy in our body. The, the presence in our body, a loving touch that we're holding them whilst they're crying in arms. So you are enough. You are enough to, to listen. So I think it would be really helpful because I think parents can get scared. Like, how am I going to listen to both? You can listen to both. You really can. And, yes, it may bring up big feelings for us, which is why we always recommend empathy buddies. But it's really possible. I'd love to hear, what did you find with, if you want to share, Lal, about yeah. three of them? Did you I imagine they all three would cry at times? I never had all three cry together because I think there was, you know, my oldest was like eight at the time. And so um, if the two younger ones were crying, I used to do what you say, I would hold the baby and I would also, even if Indy was over the other side of the room, I'd, I'd say to her, I can hear you, sweetheart, I'm right with you. And Indy, I'm here. And I would, you know, we'd say her name and I'm here and I was also with the baby. And I would do both, you know, because you would, and then I do remember times Kai would come in, take a look and go, oh, and then walk out. <laughs> I was like, I think he's like, I'm going to leave you guys do this. But what I did find as my kids got older and the more we listened to feelings, it just became so normal. If the baby was having a cry or, or Indy was like four and a half, five at the time, 
you know, Kai would sometimes come in and go, oh, you're doing some listening. Like it was just normal or, you know, even Indy would come in and say, oh, Tali really needs a cry, doesn't she, mummy? And I'd be like, yeah, she does. And sometimes she'd sit with me and listen to her as well, you know, at the same time. But as they definitely got older, um, what would happen is I found my kids would take in turns of when they brought their feelings to me. So, you know, not in the baby phase, but as they definitely became toddlers and then got older, when one was really upset, um, the other two would almost just give them space to be heard or have a beautiful big release and meltdown and I would do that. And then when that child was back in balance and the next one would come in and do it. So I'd kind of be like, okay, who's next? next. And I used, to, I used to find on the days where all of them were at kinder or school or they'd gone to my in-laws for the weekend or something and they'd all come home, literally they would one after another, they'd take in turns of just bringing the feelings and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> just brace myself for an hour or two of listening. And then they would all get it all out and then they would all feel good. So as they got older, older I found they took in turns yeah. because it's almost like they knew I, I can hold on to this for a bit until you're finished. And then, and I also found that too, as they got older, particularly if one of my kids was working through some really big stuff and it was going on for quite a bit, whether a week or two of big feelings, when they finally moved that piece of the story or something going on, then then the other child would would feel their space and then they would bring whatever has been a bigger story. So I really found that as a group or as a group, as a family and as a beautiful family system, it, we found our flow and it would be, you know, one person at a time would be working through something big and then we'd all kind of they'd take in turns of how to move it. But when, you, when they're very little, it's very common for them to be crying at the same time. And, and as you said, you know, I just did that. I'm here and I'm listening. And, and I think that point you said, which is so important, is I made sure I was listened to as well. So I would call my listening partner and just go, oh, my God, they just had this big release and that both of them and this happened and that happened and I would need to talk about it and I would need to be heard. So it gave me more capacity to listen to them. So, And it definitely, it definitely helped me increase my capacity to listen mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that's a really important thing to remember when we're starting off with we're parenting. You know, five minutes of listening is amazing and if that's all you can do, that's okay. And, and as we always come back and say, you know, we are listening or holding space for our children in a way that often was not done for us. So it can feel confronting and it can feel challenging. And it's, I found it was like a muscle. I had to keep practicing and I had to keep using it and I had to keep expanding and listening to develop a really big, strong muscle to be able to hold and listen to lots. So it's, it's a beautiful, gentle work in progress sometimes of whatever you can do. Mm. Yes. All right, should we move on to the next question, which yes. is about how to support a toddler two years and 10 months who seemingly appears to intentionally, I know it's not in brackets, hurt his baby brother who's 10 months. He's been happening since birth despite following all the recommendations around introducing a new sibling using gentle parenting approaches. Yes. And I think that's the, the difference, again, when we look at aware parenting compared to many other gentle parenting approaches is it to really understand that um if they're hitting, they've got painful feelings and basically moving in in all the ways that we would normally move in with hitting to, and to really know, that to, to put our empathy hat on to go, you know, they're feeling powerless, they're feeling jealous, all of the things so that we can move in with compassion. Basically preventatively, again, the more we're doing preventatively, so doing that daily non-directive child-centered play, doing power reversal games, so they're getting to release the feelings of powerlessness and listening to any tears and tantrums that are showing up anywhere else, but also 
um, to move in at that time to remember with hitting we can always move in with either attachment play or loving limits so that might be moving in if we see any kind of um you know that kind of energy we can often like feel it brewing is to actually move in and do a little bit of attachment play with the older child which might be when the baby's asleep or it might be just you know gently finding a way to do that or moving in with a loving limit which you know for me is i'm not willing for you to do that sweetheart and, and doing what we the minimum we need to do to prevent that from happening and then and i'm here and i'm listening and listening to the feelings that are causing the hitting it's never from an aware parenting perspective it's never going to help if we just keep telling them to be gentle it's the information is not what is causing this and again if you want to listen to other episodes where we talk about the the three causes of a child's behavior which to a brief recap is um a need for information unmet needs and accumulated feelings so to really think about those three hitting to me is never caused by not enough information it's just not ever it's always either unmet needs but generally it's actually accumulated feelings they just need to express in other ways through mm. crying and raging so that they don't have that desire to hit mm. and I, th I think that's really beautiful and um I love what you say Marion and it's something that's so important to hear I think time and time again no child feels good hitting they don't they're not doing it because they want to they're doing it because on some level they can't help it as you say there's those accumulated feelings there of powerlessness or frustration all that kind of stuff and that's how it's coming out and they're looking for somebody that is you know less powerful than them that's that's littler than them whether that's the baby or the dog or something to try and take that out on and and I really do hear what you're saying too and I think this is good you know we so often in our culture use gentle hands and don't do that but no matter how many times we say it, it doesn't stop it right because they're still biting or they're hitting or they're doing those things and that's where we're I think it is really powerful to look at okay what how can we help this child in in my words come back into balance so that they they want to be gentle because children can be incredibly gentle and incredibly loving and they can share their toys and they can be really kind and all those things it's absolutely within them but it's very hard for a child to do that if there's a lot of accumulated feelings or if there's you know a lot of powerlessness going on for them so that that is such an important piece i think to understand as a parent you know that we don't see we don't through look look through the lens of my child is bad or they're being naughty or there's something wrong with them because they're not being kind and loving to the baby. Mm. They're just probably responding to an environment that says, why, why did you do this? This is a bad idea. <laughs> like, I don't get why you brought a baby into this family. We were all doing fine. And now all of a sudden, here's this other person. Of course, as we've said right at the top of this, you would feel frustrated and annoyed and upset and angry and grieving and all those beautiful things so to see it through that lens can allow us to respond with compassion which is what is so vitally important and I think we can really also emphasize that children do not need to be taught to uh, in how to respond to the baby basically if they've expressed enough feelings they're going to be naturally gentle and they're also going to be observing how we are with the baby so you all have seen I'm sure if you breastfeed, you might see your toddler trying to breastfeed your baby. If you use a sling or a carrier, you probably see your child wanting to do that. You know, that's what children do. They copy how we are with the baby. So we, we can know that if we're being loving and gentle and responsive to the baby, that's what the child, the older sibling is observing. If they're not doing those things, it shows us there's feelings there for them. So it doesn't need to be any of this teaching them. They don't, they don't need to be taught. They're incredibly wise. They, they will they will observe uh, what we model and they will show us when the feelings are preventing them from actually doing that behavior that we're modeling. Mm. 
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Let's talk about supporting the relationship. So one of the questions here is when you have young kids, my girls are two years old and 10 months old, what strategies can you use to help them to develop a good relationship so they're likely to grow up being kind and friends with one another? All right, Mary. And I come back to the basics, <laughs> like all the basic things, whatever, in terms yeah. of using your words, Blau, to help them stay in balance, which is, you know, meeting their needs as much as possible. In other words, meeting our needs as much mm. as possible, having our feelings heard as much as possible so that we can be offering that to them. Mm. And then really, basically, anytime there's any kind of conflict is really modeling, listening empathically to both, to each of them. Mm. Oh, you know, you're really upset that your sister wanted the yellow truck and you want the yellow truck you're going between them listening perfectly again they're going to be internalizing all of that and mm. i've heard so many times and i'm sure you have as well now of um, parents hearing their children later on saying the same things to their sibling using the same languaging offering empathy because that's again what they're designed to do they they are learning from us how to how to language and how to speak so i would say um all the usual things in a way of parenting and basically the less accumulated feelings they've got, which seems to be my soapbox for today, <laughs> the more they are just going to naturally have a loving relationship. You totally. know? But my yeah. children, when we listening to lots of things, they're just naturally completely in love with each other. I mean, it's just, it's the more focus we put into that, the easier everything else is in their relationship. Mm. It's so true. And I think watching my kids growing up to be adults now, I've watched them move through different phases of um, their relationships, all three of them. And, you know, there's definitely been times where there's been tension between my kids in different ways. And what I have come back to is because we are so much about listening to feelings, you know, when my kids were a bit younger, you know, my younger toddler, you know, the youngest would go to her brother or sister to have her feelings heard by them. And if they were feeling pretty centered, they would listen to her feelings. And that was pretty amazing to witness because the older kids had just watched what we had done, which is you've got some feelings, I'm here for you. And and so then the younger one, I mean, I remember thinking this is magical. The time when all of a sudden my youngest, she was like four or five, went to other people in the house to have her feelings heard. I thought, oh my God, I've like hit the jack. It's just not me having to listen anymore. That was pretty powerful. And there's been times as they've become teenagers, you know, where even my middle daughter, she was really upset about something and I, and she didn't really want to go into it with me. And I was like, who do you need to talk to? And she says, I want to speak to Kai, her older brother. And so I was like, wow. So her older brother, who's three years older, went in and they sat up talking till like two in the morning, you know, because she reached out to him to say, hey, can you listen to me? And and I also watched my two um, girls, you know, they used to share a room for a long time. And then it got a put to a point where they actually needed this space because I ended up fighting a lot because one is incredibly clean and the other one is incredibly messy. And so that was causing a bit of conflict. And so when they ended up having their own rooms, they came back together again. They found, you know, just a different space to sit in with each other and they are the absolute best of friends. And there's like four and a half years apart in their ages and they, you know, they reach out and lean into each other. And it's not necessarily something that we have worked on or have done. It's not like, let's play more family games together or let's do this or let's do that. It has been literally just keep listening, as you say, listening to their feelings, supporting where they're at, creating safety and harmony in our home by, you know, deeply accepting their feelings and emotions that 
and and really trusting as a parent, we really trust you will figure out your relationships the way you need to because we have to remember that their relationships as siblings are unique to them. And so I've watched all of my kids work through powerless stuff with each other, needing to speak their truth, needing to stand up with stuff. Like, And my job has been to support them if they've come to me saying, oh, I don't like what he's doing or that's not fair how she does that, to be able to go, yeah, I really hear you and, and what else and tell me more and what do you think you need to say to them and do you need some support saying that to them or do you like me to help you, you know, set up, start that conversation or, and it hasn't been fixing it for them. It's just been really supporting them to find their words or ways to navigate that as they've all grown. And it's been really amazing to watch, you know, as they've become adults where their relationships shift and change to. And, you know, my, my best, I think advice has been exactly as we say, right from the beginning, keep listening, keep creating safety, keep, they know it feels better to be in balance. They know it feels better to speak their truth. They know it feels better to sort out the conflict. And, and so then they will actively seek out to do that as they grow. Mm, So beautiful. The other thing I want to say is not just about crying. Of course, one of the core elements of aware parenting is attachment play. And I'm also remembering um, when Sunny was about one and a half and Lana was about six, that she started doing lots of attachment play with him. She would go around doing paraversal games with him. And I remember sitting in the kitchen and they'd be running around the kitchen playing these various games that I knew would be really helpful for him. And similar to you, I was like, oh my gosh, how wonderful. I can just sit and watch for a moment without necessarily needing to be right in there doing it. So again, the power of what we model is so incredible. You know, so really to be aware of how powerful we are in terms mm. of what, how we respond to them. I also think another good point to bring up around siblings is as we always delve into with the word parenting, if you have a story around your own siblings oh. as a parent, if you've got big stories there around conflict or not being heard or being powered over or whatever, then odds are at some point that's going to pop up in your own family dynamic. And so as always leaning into what your story is around your siblings and your journey with that is really important. You know, what did you need when you were younger that would have supported um, what happened in your family or what is it that, um, you know, is there still stuff you need to speak now or heal or whatever is it you need to do in regards to your own siblings? So that is often something that can pop up as well. Oh my gosh, so much. Yes. And that can also be at particular ages. So I really noticed that for myself, like everything can be going smoothly and suddenly, so if suddenly you're, Um, children are suddenly having lots of conflict it can be interesting to notice like what age are they and what happened for us at that age in terms of our sibling or siblings if we had them or friendships at school because those relationships can also have an impact so yeah really they can have really big impacts can't they those Mm. those um, themes that get repeated often Mm, totally which kind of you know this ties a bit into the next question too which is how to heal rifts between siblings how to foster a relationship between siblings with little to nothing in common and I've had to really um navigate this not so much about my own brothers I have two brothers but watching my kids when there has been rifts in their relationship and and when they have had absolutely nothing in common and that for me has been sometimes about doing stuff as a family where there isn't any competition and it's something that we do that's fun for everybody and you know a beautiful way that we found sometimes some healing is to play games whether it's we went and played laser tag or we as when they're teenagers we've done escape rooms or when they're younger you can do other stuff but we've played games where it's the kids versus us as parents and so the the kids have to be on the same team together 
And, you know, my husband and I would just make sure that we're pretty hopeless with it, even though my husband does not like to lose. <laughs> He's very competitive. And I used to say to him all the time, remember the whole idea of this honey is that they're stronger and more powerful. And he's like, I don't like this part of web parenting. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you can work through that later. But, um, you know, we would play lots of games where the kids had to work as a team together against us. And that often would bring connection and laughter as they kind of worked together to, you know, whether they beat us at something or whether they were trying to find us or something like that. I found that those elements were quite beautiful. But I also found too that it wasn't until my kids get got older that they found their commonplace together. So, you know, I have an older boy and then two girls and my older son and my middle daughter just, you know, they never quite met. Like they're just really quite different personalities. And it wasn't until they became older that they found a place where they they could sit and have stuff in common. And it used to be tricky because I used to kind of watch them and think, oh, I can see there's still feelings there. And it was really asking a lot of trust that they will heal in their own time and when the time is ready. And it wasn't until they were kind of in their late teens and and different things started to happen where they started to lean into each other. They started to open up more and they actually started to become friends because there was a bit more maturity and deep acceptance of the way the other person was. So even though we can have all these great intentions of I want it to be one big happy family, we have to remember we're all different personalities and we're all different beings and it doesn't always click. And and even though that was my intention um, and we kept modeling and living that, I really had to just trust that when the time is right, they'll heal whatever they need to heal and they will find how to have their own unique dynamic and relationship. And it definitely has happened as they've moved into late teenagehood and early adulthood, but it took a while. It took a while and, and I had to just trust that their journey was their journey together around it. Mm. Trust is always helpful, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other part to that question too is how to heal rifts between siblings. You know, what I have done is just one-on-one really listen to whatever the siblings, the, the child's feelings were around the other sibling. So when the other child was out of earshot, I would just take the one child into my room or somewhere and I'd go, tell me everything, all the things you don't like and all the things you feel frustrated with. And I would, it's like they would have this big whinge and complain and dump and I would just listen and listen and listen and listen. And and it's like they had to move all those feelings first so they weren't then saying that to the sibling and then I would go and do it to the other one. And, and so for a little time all I was doing is just listening to where it felt really tricky for them about their relationship and then when I felt like they'd moved some of that, I would then move into would would you be open to having a conversation with them or what do you feel would feel good for you around this? And and sometimes there wasn't anything. They were still just sitting in part of their story and sometimes they would open up a little bit too. I, well, can we talk about this or could we do that? So it was a bit of a work in progress. And a lot of it now as I look back, a lot of the the angst or anger or feelings they had toward their siblings was just a mirror for the deeper stuff that was sitting underneath and the sibling was just playing that out. But, you know, when we're young and when we're learning, actually not even when we're young, we still do it as adults sometimes, it's far easier to project onto another person what is wrong with them instead of owning our own feelings. And that's what they were doing as kids, which is pretty normal as we learn how to own our feelings and take responsibility for what we're doing. So there was a lot of listening in the beginning. There was a lot of kind of planting seeds around, you know, what are your needs in this and what does that make you feel until they were ready to perhaps have that understanding that it wasn't necessarily about the other sibling. It was about stuff that was going on for them, but that, that took time. 
Mm. What yeah. about for you? Did you have any stuff around just healing rifts between siblings? Uh, yeah. Well, I shared that story in the other sibling one that we we had the big experiment where where my lovelies work went from being completely in love with each other for that first four and a half ish years, like totally in love with each other to the point of like dressing the same, Lana reading to Santa, just like completely in love, no just no friction at all to um, when their dad and I separated to Sonny going to headbutting and hitting um, his sister. So we had a, a big, I had the big experiment. I've had the wonder and the delight and the, it was one, it's been one of the most painful things in my parenting journey. So um, yeah, a lot of it was really supporting them, supporting Sonny really in particular to, to release more feelings in other ways doing attachment play listening to crying so that he was actually not hitting her because he started hitting her and then he she started being harsh towards him with her voice so it took it took a long time it took a long time to heal that rift and I, again I think for me that's where that trust piece comes in that um yeah, things do change over time and yeah, to it sometimes it takes a long time. It really took quite a long time for them to to really come out of that. It was very painful, I'd say, for both of them. It's mm. still, you know, painful for me when I reflect back on that. But mm. yeah, they did come back out the other side and mm. enjoy each other's company again now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's big, <laughs> isn't it? I don't think there's a like a do step one, two, and three, and then it'll be fine, right? It's each Wouldn't family it be lovely if there was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah each family is unique and I think each situation brings different stuff and you know it's also each human has their own journey and their own story of stuff they're having to navigate and learn and work through and I you know you see that siblings are the perfect people to project our stuff onto or to bring up our our stories it's it's almost it's so perfect and that's why I think you know, we can have this idea of it's all got to look fabulous and wonderful and we've all got to be harmonious, but that's actually not often the reality. And we all move in and out and up and down and all those kind of things. And and the goal of what I've found, particularly with where parenting is, can I hold my centre amongst that? Can I hold my centre even when my kids are not loving on each other? Can I hold my centre even when they're saying, I hate him, he's the biggest idiot in the world? I'm like, mm, okay, tell me more. Like, can I sit in that centre and hold space for their feelings and trust their journey and and keep creating spaces for them to navigate what they need to with it. It's, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. You know, it's it's definitely, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a part of all growing as a family. That's what it is. And, you know, I, I think back to I don't have a very close relationship to my two brothers. We're very, very, very different humans. And, you know, I care and I love for them. But, you know, we, I look back on my childhood and there really wasn't um, spaces there to process how I felt about them or what happened. And so I think we all just kind of numbed and went in our own directions. And so we catch up for family events and that's about it. And we don't really have a deep relationship. And I, I'm actually okay with that because, you know, they're, they are them and me and I, I have no animosity or anything. I just, you know, I, I feel that we're just different humans. So there's also a bit of an expectation, I think, that we should all, be the best of friends in a family and that's not always the case it's not always the case and that's okay you can still care for your family and not want to hang out with them all the time <laughs> like it's okay it's okay mm. and I think it's also when you're talking about can we stay 
in our center when things are going on with our children and i think to me that comes back to again the importance of uh, getting listened to ourselves having an empathy buddy having an aware parenting instructor having a therapist or a counselor someone who we can regularly express our feelings to and I, for me i go back to what i really wish in that time that i went through that was really painful so i wish i'd been willing to have more support because i know that i would have been more resourced to be able to support mm. them so if you are um, if you're listening to this or watching this and you're, you're feeling pain around your children, what they're doing to each other, uh, please, if you haven't got anyone listening to you, please, you know, come along to our free Facebook group and find an empathy buddy or a listening partner or, you know, someone to listen to your feelings because it really does transform, um, you know, what we're able to do as parents. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Always more listening, always more listening, always, always. <laughs> always more listening, always more compassion. Yeah. Uh, another question we've got here is just about, a, again, a toddler and a baby. Uh, toddlers often having big feelings. And if I could pick him up, I could listen, but I'm usually wearing or carrying or feeding the baby. So he runs off to cry because I don't pick him up. He doesn't stand next to me if I try to kneel down to his level. Help. So this might be a bit of a practical mm. Um, again lots of love and compassion um it can be really hard i think again bringing the cultural picture we're not designed to live in nuclear families we're designed to live in community we're not designed to be even two parents let alone one parent um we're alone with a baby multiple children for any period of time so just to have lots of compassion for of course it's going to be really hard at times and you know, particularly in those kinds of situations. So again, like finding ways, if you do have a partner, when they're around, what can you do to ramp up the attachment play? Can you support listening to feelings then? Um, if your baby's old enough and you feel comfortable, can you put them in a back carry on your back and support the, the toddler then? Can you just keep following them if they run off? I'm, you know, I'm not wanting for you to be on your own when you're upset, sweetheart. I hear that, you know, I hear upset and see you're running off and I'm going to keep close. Those kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. So he doesn't stand next to me if I kneel down to his level. So, yeah, following, following, following and just any practical way that you can find to, to keep the baby safe and stay present. And that's going to be different in different occasions. Like if they no kicking and so on. The other thing to notice is we don't always need to hold a toddler. Once a, once a baby can move independently, they don't always need to be held when they're crying. They do need us to be really close. They need our presence for the crying to be healing. They don't always need to be held. So again, it's just finding a way that we can perhaps be close. Mm -hmm. So that might be having the baby on, on our backs so that we're mm -hmm. you know giving our full attention to the toddler, but just lots of compassion and lots of willingness to find a way for it to work and keep mm. trying if it's not working just keep trying other things until mm. you mm. find a way love to if you have any mm. yeah one. i agree with that and i think the only other thing is that when you can have one-on-one -on -one time with that older toddler and really just filling up their cup and just looking to see if there's a loving limit you might want to set so you can listen to their feelings then and you're really present for it i used to find that that I would do the best I could when I had a baby on me and there was someone else upset. And um, and sometimes I don't feel like I could listen at all. And I would sometimes be like, do you want to watch a show? <laughs> I would just be like, here you go, distract yourself for a minute. Because I was exactly as you say, Marion, I was at home on my own with three kids and, you know, going, what is this? This is too full on. 
But what I would do is then when my husband came home or somebody else was there, I would give him the baby and and really make sure I'd focus on that child and, you know, fill up their cup and play and be present. And, and often then they would bring feelings because something wouldn't be right or it wouldn't be okay. And then I had space to listen and so I would do it then. And that kind of I think became a bit of our rhythm that as soon as my partner did get home or there was another adult there, my middle child particularly would go, right, you can listen to me now. Here's all the things. And so I'd go, okay. And we found our rhythm that way doing it. So there were days where I don't feel like I did it well and some days where I was like, hey, watch a show instead or, you know, there were things I would do just because I don't have capacity to do this. And that is okay, right? We're just, oh, we're doing the best job we know how. So please know that, you know, there's some days where you're not going to be able to be present for it and you're not going to catch it and that's okay. And then there's other days where you've got capacity and spaciousness too. And that's brilliant. You can do it then. The thing I love about aware parenting is kids will hold on to their feelings. If, if they haven't got it out, they'll bring it the next day or the next day. <laughs> say that exactly. They'll give many opportunities, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> just hang, don't worry. They'll bring it the next day. Um, okay. So another question, which is a bit about aggression towards siblings, how to handle the constant snatching of toys and claiming everything when older child isn't even remotely interested in what younger one wants to play with constant head banging that older child does to the younger one and the constant talk of no she can't have dinner be excited come etc so it just sounds like lots of control also know this is common and we are trying to be compassionate but can't break this six month relentless cycle well i would say number one uh, are you getting some listening time because it's so normal to find this really painful and and to feel frustrated and powerless mm-hmm. and all kinds of things so as much listening time for us as adults first of all um, I think a really helpful thing also can be practical. So it sounds like the um, the young one is taking taking toys and so on. So I think it can be really helpful to set up things like, uh, you know, are there special things that the older child really wants to have and that they get to be put in a, in a particular mm-hmm. place so that they actually have their own things that are really special to them and that, that we go in with loving limits to actually say, no, that's, you know, that's your brother's and they don't want you to play with that. I'm not winning for you too. And that might be, putting things up higher away from the younger child so that the older child has their own things. So they're not, they're not, you know, they're getting that choice and agency and autonomy, which is going to help them feel more powerful. It means they're going to feel less powerless. It's going to um, reduce the amount of conflict that happens. Mm. Um, Head banging, literally, again, we would say that would be big painful feeling so moving with the loving limit straight away the, as soon as it happens one time not willing for you to do that sweetheart i'm right here and i'm listening the more we let things continue the more we're gonna feel likely to feel frustrated and powerless and pissed off the less likely we are to be able to move in with a really effective and loving and true loving limit loving limits really need us to feel quite centered and present and to have that emotional um, availability in ourselves so was when it's really helpful as soon as something happens if we if we can to move in then rather than waiting for half a morning by which time we are likely to be so fed up so all the things we're not going to be able to go and actually offer a loving limit and be able to listen to the feelings because mm. to remember that a loving limit the whole purpose of that is we're saying no to the behavior we're saying yes to the underlying feelings if we don't have any lovingness in us left because we're so pissed <laughs> off, we don't have any lovingness to go, yeah, sure, I'm going to listen to your feelings. We just want to stop the behavior. So um, that would be another one. Um, and, yeah, just I would also be thinking attachment play would be really helpful if they're 
they're constantly saying no she can't have dinner can't be excited to to think that's coming from their own powerlessness so you can move in with nonsense play but please i want to have dinner please can i have can i lick your shoes can i just being silly and goofy to bring in see if there'll be some laughter that will help um release some tension that's going mm. on here just a few little thoughts mm, i love that that's the beautiful suggestion so so good uh, another one just about a bit of aggression my five-year-old seems to be really mean to my three-year-old and lashes out it breaks my heart to watch it because my three-year-old just wants to be friends with him how do I help nourish their relationship so it's amicable I so understand this and I think this is a question I get asked a lot when we're doing work with parents is you know the older sibling can often pay out on the younger sibling because again there's as we've talked about in this podcast there's a lot of feelings there I used to find that in my house whoever was the older sibling at the time whoever's around usually set the tone for the play so if the five-year-old was not having a good day it was often not going to go well and so or even if my son who was seven or eight if he was not feeling great at the time then usually he would try and power over them and it just wouldn't work so I often would really look at how do I help the older sibling because usually the younger ones are just like you tell me what to do and I'll just follow you and I just want to be in your orbit and you're amazing and you know just those younger siblings look often at their older siblings with just magic in their eyes so I would be often looking at well how do I make sure my older sibling is as balanced as possible so do we need to have some you know that special connection time together do they need to offload some feelings first do they need a bit more power do they need their own yes space as you're saying Marion where it's just for them and they get to have those things so I found that for me I would often be just gauging where is the older child at and how do I make sure that they're feeling good and resourced then I found the play usually worked pretty well um, and sometimes there was still conflicts, but I often found that sometimes the older siblings set the tone for where things were at and how smooth that play would be. But I think when we come back again to how do you nourish a relationship, like what we've talked about here, the more we listen to how that feels for them, for both of them, how it feels for the five-year-old having to share stuff with a three-year-old. And then we listen to the three-year-old about how it feels when our big five-year-olds mean to us, you know, like we have to keep creating spaces to hear both their feelings. That is when they're going to be able to let it go and they'll be able to come together from a place where they naturally want to connect and it to feel good. Beautiful. I love that. Mm. All right, next question. Um, something I would have loved to know when they were little, if there was aggression between them, how to listen to each child and empathize without the other feeling hurt or confused by our empathy for the other. Does that make sense? That's a great question. Mm. It can be tricky, can't it? I think sometimes it can be way, especially if the one of them is saying harsh words to the other. It can be tricky, but finding some way of maybe saying if one of them's like really in those feelings and is being harsh, that might we might say to the one who's at the receiving end, sweet, oh, I'm just gonna go in the other room with your your sibling, I'm just gonna go and listen to their feelings and I'm and I'm I'm gonna come back and listen to you and maybe listen to them a little bit first. So um the ideal thing as you were saying about with your kids is like them getting to say all the unenjoyable stuff the harsh stuff but not in the presence of the other one ideally so that's the thing how can we how can we make that happen that might even be saying exactly do you want to watch a show and put some headphones on and i'm just going to listen then i'm going to come and listen to you i mean again it can be tricky we're not designed to be doing this with one adult it's just not designed to be so whatever mm. ways that we can um support that to happen mm. ideally if there are two adults around one adults with each child listen to both of them if they're both saying kind of harsh things that might be really painful mm. so um that's one idea mm. yeah and uh, you know i 
I remember hearing this and actually tried it once when my two older kids were having a really hard time with each other. They were a bit older and they would just complain about each other constantly. And so I would give them space each day to go into the room with me and I'd go, okay, for 10 minutes, you can say whatever you want and just swear and say all the mean things about your brother and I'm going to listen. And so, but then I would say, but I'm really going to ask you at other times to not say it to the sibling and come and tell me instead. And so we did it for about a week and they would just swear and say what they hated about the brother or sister and da, da, da. And most of the time we'd end up laughing and I think because they realized it didn't feel very good. They got out the feelings, but it actually felt pretty horrible sitting there swearing about their brother or sister. And I did it with both of them separately. And it, and it did, I think it served a purpose of them realizing the power of their words and what that felt like. And it moved another piece of the puzzle. But I think it came back to me. What, what I really noticed again was when we were growing up, and I know this for me, I never would have had the space to say, this is what I really feel about this person in this moment. And to have someone who loves me sit there and say, yeah, tell me more and what else and what else would have been very powerful because I would have had the opportunity to say, these are all the things that do my head in and these are all the things that frustrate me and this isn't fair and that's not fair and that's not fair. And I wasn't being judged for it. I was just giving it space to come out, which then allowed me to move more into feeling whatever my own hurts were or compassion for the other person. So that was something else that we did. Now I'm thinking about there's been many things that we've had to navigate and try as as my kids have moved through those feelings with each other. But I think in the moment when a child is expressing, if you've got two kids there and they're fighting about something and you're saying, hey, Charlie, you tell me how that looked for you. And he's like, well, Jack took this and that's not fair. You know, Jack is naturally going to go, no, that isn't what happened. And what I would say is, Jack, you'll get a chance to chat in a minute as well, but tell me more, Charlie. And then if he did say something mean about Jack, I would say, you know, Jack, I just want you to know that, you know, Charlie's got a bit of anger. So, you know, I just want you to listen with gentle ears for a minute and, you know, like, and trying to on some level say, just be mindful of what we're saying. Not without, I didn't want to censor them, but it also can feel very harsh for sibling if their brother or sister is going, you're stupid and you're an idiot and you're all those kind of things. And so I would be really wanting to make sure I was connected to both of them to say, I can see you've got some really big feelings here. There's a part of you that feels like that. Keep going, you know, tell me. And then when Charlie finished speaking and said to Jack, now it's your turn. I want to hear what you've got to say. And if Charlie interrupted, I'd say, Charlie, remember, we listen to you. You'll get another chance. And, and you're doing some beautiful democratic problem solving modeling right there for your kids as you do that. And I found the more we did that, then the more my children would start to do it themselves with each other. You go first and then they would talk and now you go next. And then and particularly because there was three of them, then sometimes what would happen and pretty much my youngest one as she grew up, she's always the justice in our family. She really likes making sure that things are full of integrity and authenticity. So when the two older kids would start fighting, she'd come in and she'd go, right, we're going to have listening time. So as a four or five-year-old, she'd go, you go first, Kai. <laughs> and then he'd talk and he'd, now you listen. It was pretty hilarious because that's what she'd watched and was modelled and then, you know, they learned how to, to figure it out. Mm. So lovely. I'm also remembering a game that I learned from Aletha, which is, again, not to be used always, and I did use it a few times with my kids, when kids, kids children when they're kind of middle ages, which is like, okay, tell, tell me what you would love to do to the other one. You, mm-hmm. and they take turns or like, and uh, I think I've shared this before here, that it was really helpful because then one of them might say, you know, I want to send you off to the moon so I just never see you again mm-hmm. so you can never 
you never say anything harsh to me or something, you know. So it'd actually be really helpful because I'd uh, in what they said, I'd get I'd get clarity about what was going on for them. And I said, okay, well, no, can you say something even worse than that? And then they <laughs> take turns and now you'll go, what what would you want to mm. do to the other one? So, you know, actually going really over the top about it. Yeah. Bring yep. some laughter and some relief. So. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay, let's talk a little bit about supporting individuality, how to foster their individuality and give them each their love, support, attention while juggling life's practicalities. This is the this is the journey of modern day parenting, is it not? How do we get everyone's needs met? Well, we'll come back again to that. We're not meant to be doing this on our own in our little families. We're meant to have support. So, yeah, this is a big one. What have you got to offer here, Marion? Again, mountain lows and ocean lows of mm. self-compassion about like mm. the, the hardness of this I find this even for myself now like with my mum who lives with us and there's a dog and there's rabbits and there's the two teenagers and there's me mm. and the house and all the and the cooking all the things it's like often I'll joke about it to them it's like well so and so had their day you know I'll hang out with my mum or I'll take her somewhere like everyone else gets ignored or you know this is the day the dog got their needs met. So, mm. I don't know compassion number one um I'm just going to sit with that for a bit. Have you got any practical ideas? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think for me, um, the juggling life's practicalities is just, it's, it's, I think don't underestimate that 15 minutes of just, you know, little chats together or yeah. when you're putting them to bed or um, just trying to say, hey, can we have some special time, even if it's for 20 minutes after dinner or you know, I found that in having all the balls in the air and doing stuff, well, when I realised what aware parenting took, which really was about taking care of myself to make sure I was spacious for my kids, I actually did create more boundaries in my life or actually go, what can I get rid of that actually allows me to be more spacious so I can turn up for my kids in the way that I want? And and it did mean shifting and changing a few of the priorities in our family because at the end of the day, what was a really strong value for me is that I want my kids to feel seen. I want them to feel heard. I want them to feel like we are there for them. And so how can we do that whilst we're still running two businesses and there's five of us in the family? And and that came with sometimes outsourcing stuff. So, you know, we got help. It came from just prioritising particularly you know, for the younger one that we had special time every morning before she had to go to kinder or school because we knew that would fill up her cup. It would be that when I picked my kids up from school, I would make sure for the first hour I was totally available. I wouldn't look at my phone. I wouldn't make dinner. I would just play or be present. And that felt like it really met their needs so that the evening would go smoother. So I just started to work my day around where do I feel like my kids are going to need connection and support? What can I outsource? What can I, um, how do I take care of me? It is a juggle and every family looks different, but I think what helped me with meeting all three kids' needs was to make sure I took pressure off where I could, particularly when they were young, you know, and I've always been pretty driven with career and wanting to do stuff. But I remember when I had three kids and they were little, I just thought this is not the time to be changing the world. I can't do it. I can't do it all because I can't meet my kids' needs and be present and spacious and also do that. And I had to really trust that timing would be right when I would do these things. And I have absolutely seen that as my kids grew and they didn't need me as much. I then had more space to do my work and do the things I wanted to do and I don't regret for one single second the time I spent when my kids were little making sure that those spaces were there for them I think it really served us as a family um 
so yeah, I th- I, it's a tricky one to answer because I think every family looks different, but you're right. We need compassion. We need support from others. I'm a big fan of outsourcing. I haven't cleaned my house in a very long time because I have a cleaner. It's the best money I spend all week. I'm just like, I love her. Whenever she walks in, I want to hug her because I'm like, thank you. I don't want to clean the bath, right? There's too many other things I'm doing. And that for me is like awesome. It allows me to be more present with my kids or do stuff that I need to do. So I think, you know, there's ways that we can Sometimes we just need to look at our life and go, well, what do I want it to look like and how, what would feel best for me and how could, is that possible? There's many possibilities that exist even if we can't see them. Mm. And I do want to come back to just that basic non-directive child centre play and having an aim to do mm. a little, even if we do a tiny bit of it as much as possible and, and having like a some kind of rhythm and routine in that. I find whenever we have something that we're doing, every day or nearly every day it just becomes easier doesn't it um like you said uh when your lovelies would come back from school having that first hour just when once we know that's in place it becomes easier to do so i I remember that as well having those chunks of time i think that Mm. really makes things a lot easier we don't even need to think about it it's just something that Mm. happens Mm. yeah beautiful um we've got some other questions that are pretty similar to stuff we've talked about but there's one here um marrying about how to navigate apologizing when one sibling has hurt another um well i'm a big fan of never coercing someone to uh, apologize and i also think there's you know in terms of my passion around understanding guilt there's a real difference and for us as adults as well between true authentic um kind of mourning and regret that something that we've done has been painful for someone else which is really hard to, to do sometimes without but without judging ourselves or shaming ourselves and so I would say as parents when we support that process in our children without coercing them to apologize without shaming or judging them but to support them in naturally um basically listening to them it really means listening to the one who has done the hurting and again this is so different from other you know um paradigms from the past where it was about you know shame and you have to say sorry that doesn't do anything apart from just add more shame and hurt on the top so the more we can you know attend to both but actually tend lovingly to the one who's done the hurting you know what was happening for you I hear that you're upset and younger children aren't going to know what was happening for them so we just need to listen to their feelings and to trust that they will naturally come you know, that they will come to that compassion and that regret and that might be um, after we've listened to them and we might say and did, did you see that actually and that was you know you're your brother's crying now or, or, you know, that they have a red mark on their arm where you bit them and to really help them to find a true way to say, to say, I'm sorry, which is not, I'm ashamed or I've done something wrong, but mm-hmm. no, I'm really sad that I was in pain and I did that to you. And that's, a, it's quite a thing to find that, to navigate around that, but it's absolutely possible so that children naturally come to, to, apologize in a way that they're not feeling guilty they're not shaming themselves but they're actually just feeling regret that what they did caused pain to to their sibling Mm. I love that I think you just put that so beautifully I mean on a, a practical level the words I would often use with my kids if they did something to hurt each other and I would do that I would make sure whoever was hurt was okay and 
and then I would go and be with the child who had done the hurting or who was angry, aggressive, and as you say, hold space for their feelings and allow it to move till we get to what was underneath or the bottom of that. And I found that when my children had moved through those feelings and they would come back into balance, I would often just say to them, do you want to repair with your brother in you know, some way or with your sister? And if you want some help, let me know, but I'll leave it to you to repair. And and you could say that when there were two or three or four, they got it and they might go over and say sorry or they might go and just like pat them on the head or they might go and give them a cuddle or they might do a drawing for them or my youngest one. <laughs> she's very expressive she used to write a massive card and then she would just she would she'd spend like an hour with this like repair card and she would write these amazing things and it was just it was divine I've I've kept a few of them because it was just so beautiful and it was incredibly heartfelt because it came from a place of I'm really genuinely sorry but I was really angry because of this or I'm that and and you could see that it actually came from a deeply empathetic place not from a place of I've got to say sorry because mom says I should Right. And that's ideally where we know. And I think we can see the evidence of children don't want to hurt each other. They don't do it because they're naughty or they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because there's other stuff in the way. And I think that is beautiful stuff to to model and that, that we repair in that way as well. Can I repair with you if we've yelled at our kids or we've done something hurtful or, you know, I'm really sorry and can I repair with you and, you know, whatever. We, the more we model that and the more we do it authentically, our children see that as well. Yes, and also two things I'd love to add. Number one is us also modelling that we're not shaming ourselves. Like parents can say, you know, I oh, gosh, I'm a, you know, I'm a naughty mummy or I'm a terrible mummy or I shouldn't have done that. And that, you know, if we're wanting our children to, to come from that place of deep self-compassion, compassion for the other, but also self-compassion about why they even did that, because as you say, we don't want to hurt another ever, really, in our heart of hearts. So I think that's helpful as well about modelling. And the other thing, what was the other thing? It's always when I say two, I'm going to remember <laughs> the second one. Ah, what was it? Oh, well, I don't remember what the other one was. Okay, it'll come. We'll start talking about something else and you go, oh, here's the next part of it. All right. I think that's some amazing conversations around siblings and we've covered a lot of territory there around, you know, all those pieces that are tricky. At the end of the day, I think. Oh, we I go- remembered it. And oh, yeah, there you go. See? So as, the, as I think sometimes parents, especially when they're newer to this and that also when we're not forcing children to say thank you, then we like, but really, will they actually say thank you? And I want to say from my experience, like with my children, my son so often says sorry. I never, ever, ever asked him to say sorry. He always says thank you. Mm. Um, so just really from, from experience, they want to. They want to say those kinds of things. We don't ever need to coerce them to do that. Mm. Yes, yes, I agree with you. Sorry, okay. carry on. <laughs> that's all right. I was, just, I was just winding up, but that's beautiful. I mean, I was just going to say at the end, um, you know, sibling relationships can be tricky to navigate and it can be, as, as you've mentioned, Marion, it can be a painful part of parenting, watching our kids fight or move through some story together. So as always, a lot of compassion to holding space for that and watching and witnessing. And I'm a big fan in, you know, sitting sometimes going, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to hold a vision of you guys finding the love and connection with each other um in whatever timing that needs to work and I've definitely watched it move over the years so sometimes our intention is sometimes all we can sit in you know when we're doing all this other stuff we you know trusting their journey and their experience of it as well Mm. yes 
Mm. Oh, one other thing. <laughs> I've got another thing. It is very easy. I know very many parents say this to me. It is very easy to, when our kids are fighting or not getting along, to make it mean that we are a bad parent. And I think this is what you were saying, Marion, about that shame with ourselves. I've had quite a few people I've worked with who've said it's my fault, you know, that they don't get along and it means I should have done things differently. And as you say, none of those thoughts help us at all. You know, we are all doing the best job we know how. So that's that's if you are having your kids fighting or you're navigating what it's like having a new baby and, a, and an upset toddler and, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job. It just means we're working through a tricky part of life. So that's a really good thing to be mindful of, of whether you are making yourself wrong because of what you're witnessing. And again, I would love to add the cultural picture, like so much of why it's so hard is because we live in nuclear families, like it just, you know, it, it just would be entirely different if we lived in multiple generation communities of people, this would be so different. So mm-hmm. if, if you want to blame any, if you want to go to blame, blame, blame the, <laughs> blame the culture, paradigm, blame yeah. the disconnected domination culture rather than yourself. <laughs> yes, true. True, true, true. All right, Marion, what's what's your offering around siblings? What what do you want to offer people to contemplate? Um, if you have a sibling, um, can you remember something that was painful? And if you if you have a yes for this, what would you have liked to have received from your parent or parents? around that situation what would you like to have heard what would you like to them to have done it can be really helpful sometimes to to put ourselves in that position to actually experience what it's like to be at the receiving end and then to go oh that's so enjoyable and then we have more likelihood to be able to offer that to our own children mm, I love that how about My, you mine would be um can you look through the lens when your kids are fighting or they're having disagreements, can you look through a lens that says, oh, they're having a hard time and this is how they're trying to figure it out? Mm-hmm. Can you have that as, you know, as I've talked about sometimes, I imagine our kids waving red flags going, I'm not feeling good or this is hard or can you help me? When your siblings are fighting, can you can you see it through that lens and does that allow you to move more into compassion? Yeah, to support them. Hmm. No, what not. courses have you got going on Marion what's, what's got lots things? of courses well I actually do want to say before that you might also really enjoy we recommend all of Aletha Salter's books Aletha is the founder of the Aware Parenting Institute she has lots of lovely books um, five books and cooperative and connected that can be really helpful around this topic if you've got a baby the aware baby I would highly recommend to anybody who has a baby and who wants to practice aware parenting um courses I'm doing I'm still doing my seven year since I started online courses sale which is going on for a very long time so <laughs> if you want to um, keep an eye out for that I'm also giving one of those away each time so come, come and see my social media if you would like mm. to see that how yes. about you lovely Lael I'm, I'm just you know cruising along I've got my couples course if anyone wants to work through some stuff with your partner around your stories um 
yeah, so I've just got that happening at the moment. I've got some other new things that um, I've got brewing. So, yes, that's it's, yeah, you can find all our stuff on our websites. Yeah, if you want extra support, you can find it there. And we also, we talked about ages ago about our book. Our book is still coming. I just want to say that We've, um, we had a bit of a, a pause on it and um, our book is on the way. It's coming soon. So we'll, yes, we, we can't wait to share that with you all yes. when the time yes. is right. Yeah, we totally trust the timing. So yeah. um, keep an eye out for that. We'll be yeah. talking about more soon. Yes, we will. All right. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We love uh, we love all your input into these questions and these topics. So please reach out if you would love to know something more or want some info about, you know, what's going on in your aware parenting journey. And we thank you all for being here. Mm, so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.